Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4 Triple Z 102.1 FM Community Radio. Garanginanami, as the song says, a welcome. And of course, it was great seeing that song sung to so many people on uh, Invasion Day on Tuesday. Uh, immense amount of people gathering, and there were smaller gatherings as well, one out at Anala and different places. And uh, in welcoming everybody into a, a more inclusive Australia. Um, and that is a great thing to see. A good version of that song too. This is Ian here, everyone. Um, hello, Andy. That's uh, by Uncle Country Matheson, whose family gave us permission to include that in our intro. And uh, he's a, a well-known songman. Um, country passed away a few years ago, but we've still got the legacy of his of his song, the welcome song. Mm. Well, today on the show, we're going to be talking about a less inclusive and uh, welcoming phenomenon, um, which is neo-Nazism in Australia. It's been in the news a bit recently, especially uh, following the capital uprising in the US and the role of the Proud Boys in that. A lot of people have been talking about neo-Nazism. And so it's interesting to think, well, is this going on in Australia, which it is, as we know, of course, a couple of years ago in Christchurch, a massacre at a mosque done by an Australian uh, whose name we don't mention because of it, his desire for it to gain fame out of this act of terror. There's been a general consensus that we won't mention his name and so we won't be mentioning it here either. But um, Online, there's a lot of radicalising spaces and, of course, there's groups organising. We've seen in the news in the last couple of days that a group called the Lads Society was uh, gathering out at the Grampians in Victoria this week to for a little white power gathering, um, terrifying locals and SIG hiling and things like that. And so it's out there. The question is... Um, what does it look like? How do people get radicalised in this way? And how do we resist it to create a society where ideas that uh, degrade people because of their race or exclude people or uh, want to make violent acts against people because of their race, where these uh, philosophies are just rejected as um ridiculous and not acceptable so that's the question and we will be talking with jeff sparrow who wrote a book 
two years ago called Fascists Among Us that was sort of investigating the Christchurch massacre and some of the online spaces where people like this get radicalised. And we'll also speak with Tom Tanaki, who runs the Facebook page Yelling at Racist Dogs and is a proud anti-fascist activist. We'll talk about the some of the kind of things that people are doing um, to resist this sort of stuff on the streets. My chief concern is um, how these neo-fascists um, operate against the left. You know, the left has been organising a lot of very big demonstrations in, in, in recent years and we saw on Invasion Day just this week how, uh, you know, a fairly isolated group of people came along and tried to be disrupted. Fortunately, the, you know, the numbers just made it impossible for them to do that. But we have, have, have had a history of incitement, um, agent provocateurs coming into a crowd, and in earlier times when police and the political parties were sympathetic to that right-wing agenda, they would come under the cover of that and cause problems for organising here and, you know, on progressive issues. Well, the building that we are in, Fortable Z's studio here, when it was the Communist Party headquarters, it was bombed on Hitler's birthday by a neo-Nazi back in the 70s. And just last year, we saw a young man arrested in Melbourne. Uh, his plan to do a terrorist attack uh, that targeted not mosques but left-wing political spaces, and so it certainly is an issue facing that too. Yeah, in the same, they bombed it, or the person involved was a fascist by the name of Gary Mangan who got off on a technicality, um, and he had been very active with a number of other fascists around that time because there were a lot of protests um, against apartheid in South Africa, and... There was a real suspicion and it's, it found its way into right-wing literature that the special branch actually commissioned um, Gary Mangan and some other people to throw bricks at the Tower Mill Hotel where the South African football team was and that created a police riot in a response and it was directed towards the people that were protesting against apartheid. So there's a real problem with that people have got to watch out for that kind of incitement and how to deal with it is a is a big is a big problem because there's violence going with it mm. well we had to get into it i've got a couple of quite long and informative chats so we'll hear from jeff sparrow author in a minute but let's start off with a little song from the glitter rats covering woody guthrie Fashions, what a couple of hillbillies can do.
clouds of fear. They have had blood on their hands. This is why we say down with this government, down with the Golden Dawn. Could you start off by introducing yourself? Uh, my name is Jeff Sparrow. I'm a writer and broadcaster. And my most recent book is called Fascists Among Us. Now, this book is about, inspired by the Christchurch massacre a couple of years ago and about the state of neo-Nazism, particularly online. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about it? Uh, yeah, I wrote the book in the wake of the Christchurch massacre because I was concerned about the response, particularly in Australia, to that atrocity, that there was seemed to me there was a refusal to take the political ideas of the perpetrator seriously. He was someone who had committed this attack on two mosques in New Zealand and done so explicitly on the basis that he was a fascist. And he, as he explained in his manifesto, I am a fascist, I am doing this because I am a fascist, and yet... In Australia, most of the commentary just treated him as if he were simply somebody who was deranged or unthinking. And I was concerned that this didn't take into account um, the seriousness of fascism as a uh, political ideology. And it seemed to me that if we were to prevent um, future such attacks taking place, we needed to understand why this had happened, what it was intended to do, and the likelihood that um, others would be inspired to follow it. Mm. So that's why I wrote the book. It's certainly been in the news a bit more recently, um, neo-Nazism and its ideas, things like uh, after that massacre um, and other planned attacks that were arrested. You had somebody in Melbourne arrested planning a, a sort of similar a terrorist attack. And then, of course, in the US where... Um, Alongside the rise of Trump, you've had groups like the Proud Boys and they've been in the news with the Capitol Hill uprising and things like that. Is it, and these things have always been around, do you think it's on the rise at the moment? That's a really interesting question and it depends what you mean by on the rise. I think, and this is something I go through in some detail in the book, what's distinctive about fascism in the 21st century is that it's been very, very successful in organising and recruiting online. And so the nexus for many of these um, atrocities um, conducted by far-right um, ideologues is places like 4chan, 8chan, and now increasingly sites like Parler or Gab, uh, uh, social networks that allow genuine fascists to recruit and to proselytise and it seems quite clear that there is a substantial reservoir of support for extreme right ideas online but the question as to whether they're on the rise I think one of the real difficulties the far right has had is transforming that online support into real world political activity so in the book I go through the, um, the Christchurch perpetrator and his relationship to the, up, the upsurging far-right activity in Australia in 
2016 and 2017 around groups like Reclaim Australia and the United Patriots Front. And during that time, there was a real push to try and build a genuine fascist party in Australia through street marches and and so on. Um, but by and large, that attempt was unsuccessful and those organisations were um, defeated by counter-demonstrations and um, you know, public opposition to their activities. But that doesn't mean that the far-right threat has entirely disappeared. In fact, that a lot of those people now have gone back to the online spaces. And I think the real danger is, as we saw in Christchurch, that it's quite possible for a lone fascist individual to be motivated by these ideas and decide to go into the real world by himself. And it only takes one person with a high-powered rifle to commit an atrocity of a scale that we saw on Christchurch. And so when we ask whether they're on the rise, I don't think, in the English-speaking world, I don't think they're on the rise as a mass phenomenon, but I think the danger of far-right terrorism is actually very high at the moment. Um, As you said, we recently saw a a young man... um, arrested who seem to have been inspired by the Christchurch perpetrator and in fact part of the um, of the purpose of the, the the massacre in New Zealand as the perpetrator understood it was to inspire other people mm. yeah it does seem to be something that is very much tied to online and these kind of dark web spaces like parlor and 4chan and 8chan these kind of places where the normal rules of social decorum don't apply and so you can talk about ideas that normally maybe wouldn't get an airing um, amongst, uh, you know, normal people who would say, well, that's not really on. Like, I wonder how much do you think... Does this come from a world where we are spending more time online? Does the, the nature of online communication play into these ideas spreading? Yes, but also no. So I think that it's really important to understand that the ideas of the genuine fascist right are in some respects not so very different from the ideas of those we might call racial populists. So conspiracies about immigrants, fears about Muslims, um, you know, general... um, notions of white supremacy uh, circulate quite widely in the Australian um, mainstream. So, you know, you can see on, um, you know, Sky News, people like Lauren Southern, who is someone who puts forward racial conspiracies about the Great Replacement and so on and so forth, you know, is, is, is still a regular guest. And the difference between people like that and genuine fascists is one of the things that distinguishes genuine fascism is it has a commitment to violence. It has a commitment to violence as both a means and an end. So for fascists, um, the violent suppression of their enemies is how they're going to build the kind of society they want, but it's also um, something that's seen as a good in itself. Violence is a way that, you know, men become men and, you know, nations are reforged and this sort of mystical notion of redemptive violence. So the places um, like Gab and Parler and HM, the significance of these places, I think, 
is not so much that they're places where people can talk about racist ideas because, you know, there's lots of places in Australia where you can talk about racist ideas. The significance of these places is that they're places where you can talk about putting these ideas into practice through violence. Um, And in that respect, I think, yes, the online space offers real advantages to fascists. In the past, you know, prior to the internet, if fascists were trying to organise, they had to have meetings or they had to have, you know, public rallies and they could be exposed and people could, you know, demonstrate against them and so on. Today, however, um, you know, these social networks are anonymous or more or less anonymous. Um, They allow you to contact people from all over the world. So, you know, if you're a lone fascist in your bedroom, you needn't feel completely isolated because you're talking to similar people from um, all over the world. And also, there's spaces where reality and illusion often become quite blurred. So if you spend any time on places like 4chan or 8chan, you'll see there's people threatening to do all sorts of stuff and, you know, like talking about violence and, you know, talking about guns. Nine times out of ten, it's just bluster, but it's the one the one time out of ten that um, really matters. And so I think these places provide a real opportunity for genuine fascists to turn the sort of mainstream um, right-wing racial sentiment into genuine fascist violence, and that's why they're so dangerous. Aufmarsch von Rechtsextremen verhindert. Fascist, 
That is ZSK there with Antifascista, Alerta Antifascista. If your German's not so good, I can tell you it translates roughly as listen up, we're the anti-fascists. <laughs> of course, Germany uh, contributed a lot to fascist ideology um, in history, but also a very strong anti-fascist history um, of how to deal with that, how to uh, educate against it and how to confront fascists on the streets when they do appear, which is uh, what that song's about. Well, Germany produced one form of fascism, which was Nazism, and that was based on the idea that there's a super race. So th there's a we use the terms together, fascist and Nazism, but um, they, they're really different terms. They mean different things. They are. It may be a discussion for another time, but it is true. There were other fascist governments who weren't all um, racially based. But uh, we, you're on the paradigm shift on 4ZZZ. We have been talking with Jeff Sparrow, author of the book Fascists Among Us, about uh, on, online um, racist spaces and the threat of terrorist attacks that come from it, as we have seen in the last few years. Let's go back to talking with Jeff. Uh, for a lot of our listeners... A lot of this will be quite unfamiliar territory, even things like Parler and Gab. Like These aren't things that a lot of people talk about. But also the groups, you occasionally hear these names. I wonder if you can give us a bit of an introduction to, say, things like the Proud Boys or the Lads or even the idea of the alt-right. Um, sure. So so the, the alt-right was a phenomenon that, again, developed in out of the online sphere in about 2015, um, 2016 coincided with the, um, the Trump election campaign and it was a repackaging of right-wing racist ideas with a veneer of online irony. So, you know, anyone who's spent much time in that online space knows that there's, you know, an incredible degree of bluster and shitposting. And part of the alt-right was to take that, um, that form of expression and apply it to far-right ideas. So, you know, one of the things that characterised the, 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 the alt-right was a kind of trolling sensibility where you would say things to get a reaction and, you know, like you would find uh, getting lulled, as they said, out of, um, you know, normies to be like an end in and of itself. And so one of the, the old right was kind of distinguished that by this sort of plausible deniability, you think about people like Milo Yiannopoulos, who was, you know, one of the, the, the most identifiable people with the alt-right in its first incarnation, and his whole sort of persona was to be provocateur and to say things that he simultaneously meant and didn't mean. And so it had the effect of sort of pushing the whole sort of discourse to the right. And out of that... Um, and associated with the election of, of Donald Trump, um, you've got an, at an attempt to organise um, various alt-right organisations to take this online sensibility into the real world. So the Proud Boys was one of those um, efforts. And you know, the Proud Boys are essentially a white nationalist street fighting gang. So in some respects, not a million miles away from, you know, the traditional sort of thuggish skinheads of, you know, 
back in the day, but with a degree of kind of alt-right online ironic sensibility. Um, and uh, the Lad Society, that I think you, you also mentioned, uh, was a development in Australia where out of um, the, rec- the Reclaim Australia movement, which was the sort of anti-Islam um, street movement, developed into the United Patriots Front. The United Patriots Front was a more or less explicitly fascist organisation. When that was um, defeated and fell apart, some of the members of that organisation set up something that they called the Lad Society, which was an attempt to form a um, white nationalist culture around gyms and martial arts training and so on. So um, essentially uh, a fascist organisation of, of young men based around kind of, you know, gyms and, um, and, and, and martial arts. And that many of those members now have gone on to something called the National Socialist Network, which is fairly self-explanatory. So, you know, these are tiny groups and one shouldn't um, overstate their significance. There's always been a small number of, of, of misfits on the far right. But as I say, the, what makes the current conjuncture, I think, quite dangerous is the combination of um, the online support for these right-wing ideas and their inability to organise in the, the real world creates a real temptation. Some of these people will turn to you know, terrorism or um, violence and we will see a repetition of something like the Christchurch massacre. Mm. For a long time, it's been, I suppose, a responsibility taken on by um, fringe kind of anarchists and leftists is monitoring the the far right websites like Slack Bastard have been going a long time that's keeping an eye on all these groups but now you've got ASIO saying that this is you know probably our number one terror threat and devoting a lot of their resources to to following it but it is a real issue isn't it these kind of lone wolf attacks where it's just a uh, somebody isolated in their room like that's quite hard to monitor isn't it yeah i mean i don't know anything very much about like what asio does or doesn't do um about these things as you say in in, in the past it certainly was never really a priority for the security agencies i, I you know if you think about the um the christchurch perpetrator here was somebody who had been active online for quite some time to be regularly commenting on the um uh, the united patriot front's um facebook page and and so on and so forth making threats of violence to people now in the past the orientation of the security agencies was always towards islamist groups and i think there's no doubt had that perpetrator being um, someone who's been involved in the Islamist movement, they've been making violent threats online that he would have been under surveillance. Um, so the extent to which that orientation has changed now and that these things are being taken more seriously, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know about that I'm not the right person to, to ask. But as to your more general point about the difficulty of stopping these things, I think that's certainly the case. One of the issues... Uh, is that because these sites are drenched in this sort of deep irony associated with the kind of trolling shit posting culture, it's very difficult to be clear what to be um, sure what is a real threat and who is really dangerous and who is just a fifteen year old in their bedroom talking talking tough. And you know, 
the vast majority of these people are just in it for the lulls. They just like enjoy getting reactions and, you know, they are just, you know, losers in their parents' um, bedrooms. But again, it only takes one to um, do something as horrific as we saw um, in Christchurch. And there's already been uh, multiple occasions of people um, either successfully or unsuccessfully seeking to imitate the Christchurch perpetrator and explicitly citing um, his atrocity as they prepared to carry out their own. Which I guess leads us to an important question, which is how do we resist these kind of things? I mean, you've seen people do online censorships, a website like 4chan being shut down and um, Twitter and Facebook policing things a bit more. And then there's the traditional uh, kind of street confrontation. Um, and then now there's a law enforcement thing. What do you think are the important things that we need to do to try to stop these ideas spreading and becoming acts of murder? Yeah, I don't think there's any simple one-size-fits-all solution to this. I think it's clear that the counter-protests that greeted the United Patriots Front when they were trying to organise their movement in the real world were very successful in preventing that organisation from taking off. So I think those things remain um, important. But as you suggest, the the online sphere is much, much harder to, 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 to combat. And even when these platforms are shut down, the experience has always been people will migrate somewhere else. So, for instance... You know, 8chan has been um, shut down at various times, but we are now seeing the rise of sites like Gab and Parler, um, sites that are set up explicitly as right-wing alternatives to, you know, Twitter and Facebook, as all of the, the, the right-wing activists get kicked off those platforms. And to be honest, I think that... If you spend any time on Gab, it is extraordinary the more or less explicit threats that are circulating on that side and the various calls for, for civil war and racial violence and 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 so on. In, in some respect now, I think that, you know, Gab is increasingly more dangerous than 8chan ever was because it's much bigger. Um, so what do, what do we do about... What do we do about that? I mean, I think it's important to monitor these things as um, as best we can, recognising that it is very, very um, difficult. But I also think that in the longer term, one of the things we have to recognise is these sorts of ideas get... Um, these sorts of genuine fascist um, movements grow partly out of the mainstreaming of um, racial ideas in the sense, in the way that we were talking about before, that the explicit fascists add a component of violent action to ideas that are already circulating um, widely. So one of the things that we can do is to try to prevent and try to counter the sort of mainstream uh, right-wing populism that, you know, um, we see on places like Sky News or being um, promulgated by people like Pauline Hanson or, you know, in the, in the, in the tabloid papers or wherever to, to try and combat that as much as possible. And finally, I think that um, ideas like fascism, movements like fascism, get a hearing in times when people are really despairing about what lies ahead. I mean, if you think about fascism as a... Um, 
program of racial murder, it's not a very attractive proposition. So how is it that it's able to get a hearing amongst these young men who are attracted to it? Well, there's all sorts of reasons, but I think one of the reasons is that we're in a time when a lot of people feel that there is not very much hope of a better future that, you know, we're in a world that seems to be falling apart at a rate of knots. And in that kind of climate, then the sort of violent racist nihilism that is fascism can seem appealing because everything else is so crap. So uh, in the longer term, I think, the the way that we marginalise these these kind of... um, programs and organisations is to try and offer a better future, to try and offer um, a degree of optimism and degree of hope so that, you know, to try and show that it's possible to actually make the world a better place, that it's not a question of just, you know, embracing violent racism in a world that's falling apart. Actually, we can stop the world falling apart. Actually, we can try and improve things. And now, obviously, that's a a big ask to try and put that forward at the present moment, but I think that until we're able to offer some kind of alternative, these ideas will continue to get a hearing. Good to end on a positive note. Um, And your book, if people are interested in reading it, how can they do that? Uh, Yeah, it's called Fascist Among Us, um, Online Hate and the Christchurch Massacre. It's out through Scribe, and you can find it at all good bookshops, as they say. All right. Thanks very much. Cheers. Okay. Thanks. The first person shooter switched on his head cam, sent his manifesto out to all his mates on HM. Shut up. Graffiti gave his running commentary Then set off on his fantasy His real life call of duty 17 minutes of live stream horror 1.4 million shares in an hour Pumped on the airways by Fox and Seven Despite the pleas of a traumatised nation the Twisted boys on the dark web cheer Changed their profile pics to his grim leer They think he's a hero for doing it for real How the hell did we get here? The Tell me that that didn't look familiar The Ides of Marching Christchurch That game is I view of real-time terror And all our conservative politicians Who've been gaily exploiting fear and division Are suddenly singing from the same hymn book of tolerance Long overdue But spare me the hypocrisy Don't pretend you weren't part of what it ain't is the Ides of Marginalised Church I wish I had an egg for every cynical head in that house The Ides of Marginalised Church Oh, egg boy, you should grow up So I can vote for you Tilted statesmanship don't fly Not after all these years of you fear-mongering about refugees Now you want to see what leadership is You take a look across the ditch See the pain on Jacinda's face See her take that widow in her embrace 
Here on the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM, that was Penelope Swales with the Ides of March in Christchurch, written about the Christchurch Mosque Massacre from a couple of years ago. Before that, we were speaking with Jeff Sparrow, author of the book Fascists Among Us, which in some ways tries to investigate how that massacre happened, what was the process of radicalising that person, and how... Is it possible that it will happen again? Um, I'm going to move on. The next interview now, I spoke with Tom Tanaki, who is a anti-fascist activist, organiser, and who runs the online page Yelling at Racist Dogs, which you will find out in the interview more about what they do. So let's hear from Tom. Could you start off by introducing yourself? My name's Tom Tanaki. Um, I'm a commentator, I'm an anti-fascist activist, um, I write, I make videos, podcasts, uh, the whole kit and caboodle. 
Anti-fascists have been in the news a lot in the last few years. I guess since the rise of the alt-right, there's been this uh, depiction of anti-fascists. Do you want to explain briefly what that means to you? Anti-fascism is, yeah, it's a bit of a shame that, that, that anti-fascism always, by necessity, follows the use of fascism into the news. <laughs> um, but that, that reactive power is, is sometimes a curse, but it's mostly a blessing with anti-fascism because anti-fascism is a bunch of things that you do. It's a collection of tactics. It's always been that way. Um, it's a loose collection of people, often of all different political persuasions. It might be anarchists, but it might be socialists too. It might be trade unionists. Um, it could be different, you know, migrant or different you know, nationalities, communities, um, all, uh, you know, all getting together um, to, 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 to defeat um, whatever kind of fascist threat they're facing at the time. So it changes throughout the years, and it changes in the circumstances. As we've seen over the past few years, the fascist threat has come in the form of, of uh, uh, grassroots groups, online signal boosters with disinformation, and the people who champion those causes inside Parliament as well. Um, so responding to that threat, however best, is what anti-fascism is all about, the bunch of things you do. So one of the most well-known things that you've done is the online page yelling at racist dogs which is pretty much people filming themselves uh yelling at uh neo-nazis and then posting it online what's the idea behind this the idea behind yelling at racist dogs was to um i suppose you know in the context of when it came about in 2017 and this ties into what i was saying about tactics changing as the circumstances change we were watching a shift in the way that, that nationalists and alt-right personalities were, were marketing themselves. Suddenly, you had these rock star racists like Lauren Southern or Milo Yiannopoulos who were coming here to do VIP tours in which people would pay upwards of $1,000 for VIP tickets to watch these people. And this was replacing the kind of Reclaim Australia rallies of, of 2016 and earlier. So we were watching a real change in the the demographic that was being marketed to by the alt-right and the way in which they were organised. What we saw, what I saw, was an opportunity um, to, to to occupy this kind of, like, uh, I suppose you'd say, anti-intellectual position in which you could basically stand outside in the cold and scream blue murder for comedy purposes at these people whilst they pay for these um, uh, uh, platinum VIP tickets to go inside. So out of those circumstances and outside the Milo Yiannopoulos event in late 2017, Yard or Yelling at Racist Dogs was born and we, we, we watched the, the popularity of what ostensibly was just anti-fascist action rebranded in a fun new way. We watched it take root with a whole different bunch of people and that I consider as one of my main jobs to try and make anti-fascism appealing and make sense to more people. One of the things that I suppose is notable about um, what you've done is that it's really, because it is a, a bit funny and a bit sort of uh, crude, it's sort of trying to appeal to that same, uh, you know, working class, disaffected uh, demographic that a lot of the um, fascist groups try to appeal to. Mm. Um, one of the uh, real aims of... of, of 
whether it be fascist or nationalist movement, is to occupy a certain aesthetic and to position everyone who stands against them as far-left university student elitist. You know, this sort of like this, this, this hodgepodge of different stereotypes that they apply to you simply for um, being anti-racist but not appreciating far-right, you know, nationalism. They, they want to put you into a box. And I've always seen the value and the importance of not being put into that box, not just because it's not what I like typecast as, but also because I don't, you know, I, I, I think that the appeal of anti-fascism and anti-racism, um, it goes way beyond simply, you know, university students. It's for all walks of life, and I want anti-fascism to feel like the broadest church that it can be. And part of that is making, you know, your talking points digestible to people, but part of it is having fun as well. And I've always tried to do that through, through yeah, among other things, yelling at racist dogs. I am curious about that, like, there's certainly an appeal to just uh, yelling at people who are, you know, displaying things that are already antisocial, but I guess in terms of uh, beyond yelling at people, like, to, yeah, eradicating these groups or to try to get people to uh, think about immigration in a different way, like, does it require more than just yelling? Yes, absolutely. Yelling at racist dogs is an auxiliary to, to existing uh, activist movements in the sense that um, I suppose the rise of the alt-right has been quite debilitating to certain, um, uh, you know, activist movements. And it's not just because you see the success that these reactionary movements are having, but it's also because of the rise of grifters like Avi Yemeni who specifically go along to harass and even dox members of these left activist movements, these progressive causes. And in that context, you have to be able to do something to, I suppose, if nothing else, rally the troops to give some life to people in progressive movements to let them know that someone's on their side. Now, there is such a thing as individually or you know, argumentatively changing the minds of people, making progressive points better heard and what have you and you know i try to do some of that nowadays in the the videos that i put together but you know at the end of the day um something like uh, yelling at racist dogs is is specifically meant for situations such as rallies it's specifically meant for the kinds of organized racists who are specifically trying to undermine progressive causes. But we can put something together that undermines them by making them the target of the, our jokes. Um, then then it, it, it has a profound effect on rallying the troops, on giving energy to left movements. And, you know, over the past few years with the rise of populist nationalism, um, giving energy and giving a bit of life to, to progressive causes and making people feel like they have an edge on you know, humour and what have you, it is a really important motivating factor, I think. One of the things that uh, anti-fascist activists over the years have come up against is uh, tactics like doxing people, publicly releasing somebody's address and then encouraging people to harass that person or um, whatever, things like that. Is that... You're a very public figure of anti-fascism in Australia. Is that something that you've come up against? Oh, mate, I've had it all. <laughs> I I can't, you know, I can't, look, you know, I'm very happy with the path I've taken in life, but when it comes to, you know, you know, being and getting involved in physical conflict in the streets, in my personal life, 
doxing, you know, having to move house. We've done it all, you know. I think the full gamut of it. Um, because at the end of the day, when you uh, target people who are sometimes, you know, like stalkery, you know, have a, a aggressive or violent movements, um, you you gain their attention. And, and I think there's always people within those movements who are on the bottom looking to impress the people on the top. And um, the only way that some of them can do that is by, is by um, you know, really targeting people like me. That's what happens, you know. That's part of this, I suppose. That's part of the fringe aspect of the the, the activist world that we're in. So, you know, um, I, 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 that, that kind of thing, though, I, I have to say, is not as pronounced as it used to be in the days of, I think, Reclaim Australia, United Patriots, Front True Blue Crew, that kind of, you know, populist nationalism, patriot movement rise in 2015 to 17, 18. I definitely noticed that the, the danger aspect is a little less pronounced. And I think that's probably a no small part because you've had these... Um, Grifters like RV Yemeni really take the scene over and use it all just to monetise causes for the entire cause for them now, you know. Most of their movement, they feel like they're they're um, assisting their causes if they just pay RV Yemeni some money. And that sort of effectively... They've effectively used it themselves in some respects. All right. If people are interested in finding out more about uh, the media that you make and Yelling and Racing Dogs, how can they do that? Yeah, well, they can follow Yelling at Racist Dogs on the the, uh, the Facebook page, which is, you know, Yelling at Racist Dogs. And I'm on Tom Tanicky, which you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm on all of these things. Also, Patreon, not more important than the many activist causes that I talk about, but nevertheless, helps keep me, uh, save me from being destitute. And, you know, again, as I say, I, I, I do do my best to translate anti-fascist talking points and and ideas in a way that's hopefully accessible for people. So I'd love it if people were paying me a visit. All right. Thanks very much, Tom. No worries. Thanks a lot, Andy. Cheers for the chat. Language warning on this next track, which is pretty much yelling at racist dogs in musical form. The monster shut down, the borders to secure Cause the fascinating country is being overrun By Muslims and Africans, we are not fooling anyone Blame and migrants, it's just a con game Your invaders, yourself, it's not good to reclaim Fascist, Zionist, nationalist, collaborators You can all go to hell, you fucking class traitors You'll always lose in Melbourne 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 We'll never let you pass with our hearts and our fists We'll shatter you like glass Cause we're indigenous, Asian, Arab, Jewish and white And we'll unite, unite, unite to fight the right To Abby Fraser running in the land society The anti-codes of fast trash, heavy variety Erickson and Katra, you should follow your leader And kill yourself like Adolf Hitler You'll always lose in Melbourne 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 Something more behind the 
true to reason for their lies A capitalist crisis They're trying to hide that the politicians are the criminals The bankers are the gangs Landlords and investors are who's really to blame For endless wars for oil and global supremacy They want to keep us blind to our real enemy The rulers want us to think that we're on the same side But it's with my fellow workers where my interests really lie You'll always lose in Melbourne 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 That is when our turn comes there with You'll Always Lose in Melbourne, a street chant of uh, the anti-fire groups who take on when when uh, right-wing groups do try to mobilise for rallies and things like that. They're generally met by uh, a counter-rally, um, that being one example. Uh, and yeah, before we were speaking with Tom Tanaki, who runs the Facebook page yelling at racist dogs, which uh, is meant to inspire people to meet racists when they try to mobilise or when they try to uh, harass and threaten people at left-wing rallies as well. Um, There's lots of people filming, so you you can check that out. I thought I'd mention a couple other places. Uh, There's a blog online called Slack Bastard, who Andy Fleming, who runs that, has fastidiously over the years followed tiny uh, neo-Nazi groups in, and it's not a very fun activity, I don't think, but he does it out of service of uh, making sure that we know if these groups are getting bigger, if they are threatening things. Um, and so if you are interested in learning about it, that's a place worth checking out. And there are various uh, anti-fascist action groups. There's one in Brisbane that's on Facebook and uh and they do things they're around at rallies and things like that too. So um, we have been talking about neo-Nazism. Of course, it has been in the news just in the last couple of days. There was a teenager arrested in Singapore for planning a terrorist attack at a mosque there that was going to try to emulate the Christchurch attack. Um, we've seen neo-Nazi groups gathering. As I said, somebody arrested last year and jailed um, for planning a terrorist attack in Melbourne. Uh, it's certainly a threat and, of course, in in general, the uh, harassing of immigrants that does happen occasionally on the streets and the mobilising as a political force and you see people occasionally, these ideas cropping up from uh, your Craig Kellys or your George Christensen's in Parliament, even Peter Dutton, you know, any talk about right-wing terrorism, he says, well, what about left-wing terrorism? And, um, and so it is something that we need to be concerned about and organising against, of course, in the 1930s in Germany when Nazism arose for the first time, there were people not so different from us, you know, just everyday people um, in a time of economic downturn like we are now and they managed to be convinced to carry out this horrific 
murderous regime and it could easily happen again if we don't organise against it. Yes, I agree. Um, of course, the fascists in Italy um, were very strong, um, starting off with Mussolini, but then as we went through to a more progressive period with the Communist Party of Italy taking over and then um, and then subsequent to that, the fascists organised one of the, the worst bombings of all time uh, where they bombed the, the central radio, railway station in Bologna, killing 85 people. And um, so, it, you know, you, you worry about these things, but equally, you know, it's hard to... Uh, to challenge um, on an individual basis, but when they're getting organised in a political way, then that's where you've got to worry. And Proud Boys in the US is a good example of that. Mm. Well, that's about all we have time for. I want to go out with a little history lesson. In the late 1970s, um, the British, they were in an economic recession as well. Um, there was the British National Front were gaining power, Enoch Powell, people like that. And there were mainstream rock stars like Eric Clapton and David Bowie um, talking about support for the National Front as well as racist punk bands like Screwdriver. And our response was the Rock Against Racism movement, massive concerts organised by uh, punk bands, bands like The Clash, The Ruts. The Specials, of course, his whole two-tone black and white imagery was about racial integration were involved, but also... Um, a lot of black English musicians as well. So I want to play uh, a song by Linton Kwesi Johnson, who was part of that Rock Against Racism movement. There has been a documentary just made about Rock Against Racism, and so you might see a bit of Linton Kwesi Johnson in it. This one's Fight Them Back. I might just... 